0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more.
1: Nightlife. News breakdown.
0: Well, authorities in Papua New Guinea are urging residents in the Highlands region to stay calm. After, well, now it seems more than 20 people were shot dead in a massacre. Initial reports indicated upwards of 50 people had been killed before the numbers were revised. Down police say the deaths were caused when one tribe on its way to attack another tribe was ambushed now the attack marks a serious escalation of tribal fighting in the province which was put under lockdown last year amid rising tensions the PNG police commissioner David Manning says the supply of firearms and ammunition to the region is contributing to the deadly violence
1: this is you know carnage is only made possible through you know through the use of of many, many small arms, and um, yeah, it is a
0: concern. Well, the incident's a major escalation of tribal fighting. Oliver Momet, a uh, Pacific fellow at the Lowy Institute, Lowy Institute fears that they're could be worse responses to come.
1: There's a big concern that this will continue on. Um, Revenge killings uh, tend to be a normal thing um, that happens. There's the introduction of high-powered weapons as well um, that have been making their way up to the Highlands region, so it doesn't look to be uh, something that's helping the situation.
0: No. Joining us again for Nightlife News Breakdown, Hugh Remington, National Affairs Editor at 10 News First. Hugh, good evening. Welcome back to Nightlife.
1: Nice to be back, Phil.
0: Hey, before we get to this dreadful ambush in PNG, you were Sydney-based. Did you manage, manage to avoid being struck by lightning today? There were dreadful storms.
1: Yeah, you know, it was going overhead. I had planned to go out, actually, down near the harbour at Woolloomooloo because uh, I was looking at a story about naval matters. We may get to that later, and I thought I'll stay indoors. Um, it, it was pretty severe. It was enough to blow a, um, a hole, a divot, in the runway at sydney airport which they had to repair to, before planes could take off again and there were four people were knocked unconscious and had cardiac issues etc uh it all seemed to be um you know survivable conditions they're mm. all taken off to hospital but uh, quite terrifying it was a hell of a
0: storm yeah, it sure was a bit later on actually we might talk about this have you ever ever been near to or uh, or witnessed someone being struck by lightning it can be pretty terrifying. We'll talk about it a bit later on in the program. Look, this tribal violence in PNG, the difference between this and past incidents, seems to be the presence of guns and serious weaponry because this payback system and tribal infighting in the Highlands is go, seems to go back as far as anyone can remember, doesn't it?
1: Yes, there's been an escalation between these two tribes, and you'll hopefully people forgive my pronunciation, the Ambulan and the Sikkim tribes, uh, apparently since 2021. So they were fighting over a bit of land. And uh, it has been fairly intense for a while. Uh, there are some disputes about the exact numbers, but up to 150 people were killed over a period last year. So not all in a big hit like this latest one. So perhaps went unnoticed. Uh, and in this particular case, so we understand it from the police, uh, there was a tip-off that the Ambulin received that their enemies, the Sikkim, were heading down to attack them. So they set an ambush, got them by surprise. And, uh, you know, if you, you get people into what's called a kill zone. And um, And if you've set an ambush well, you can do a lot of damage. You can do a lot of damage, particularly when you've got automatic weapons, and that is the feature that has now emerged in it is that these are not they are not rifles, they're not old World War II, hmm. things that have been left around. These are modern military automatic weapons, and uh, as we know, they kill a lot of people fast.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, unfortunately, the cultural issues here about payback and an eye for an eye and all of that, very common in PNG culture. Um, indeed, it's common in a number of cultures too, isn't it? It is,
1: you know, and uh, in my travels I've been in a lot of places where such things uh, exist and it made me reflect over time about how do you maintain order when you don't have a police force. So, if, so we take so much for granted, the notion that if someone does us mm. great violence, we go to the police, there's a process, there's a judicial process. We may not love every part of it but it means that that we are not bound to kill other people or at least be willing to do lethal violence to stop more people being killed. And and one of the codes that turns up, you see it in the highlands of Papua New Guinea, you see it in the mountain areas of Albania still to this day, you see it in Somalia, is that the way you police and discourage uh, people killing someone from your clan or whatever is where everyone understands if you do this to me, I am honour bound, duty bound to come and kill it do it to you, and all of those things probably did more good than harm in terms of maintaining order until you then bring in modern-day weapons, hmm. and suddenly it's escalating to, you know, to ridiculous levels, and the death toll, the body count gets up there.
0: Australia said, we, you know, we'll offer to help. Realistically, what sort of help could we offer anyway?
1: Well, we're, we're training the, the, the stuff that we know about involves training the police force, and this has two purposes: one is to train their police force the other one is to stop the Chinese coming in and training the police, the police off, force, force, yeah. force because yeah. they've uh, they've certainly made generous offers to do so um, and the other one which we probably don't know so much about is the degree to which Australia may be involved in trying to interdict supplies of weaponry into the highlands mm. but even then you know there's a there's a big border there with West Papua, which is Indonesian territory, of course, in law, and, uh, you know, things can come, by that means they can certainly come along the coastline. So um, stopping weapons is is difficult. Uh, there have been reports, which I've not been able to verify in the last few hours, but which I've certainly heard in the last couple of days, that there are unscrupulous operators who are uh, doing uh, uh, land trades buying land but not for money or for cash or through normal processes but getting access to land through the supply of weapons hmm. and hmm. um it's funny because i've always been interested in the history of all kinds of places but new zealand was one which was interesting and because um, they traded the maori in the early days traded with the brits for guns and one of the reasons um I think they sealed a treaty with the Kiwis way back in 1840, is by the time they they seriously got over there, Lieutenant Governor Hobson, uh, the Maori had 8,000 guns in their hands. But what happened in the aftermath of that was all the tribal battles that had been fought at low level for centuries in New Zealand suddenly were being resolved with the modern musket and the death toll among Maori was at its highest at all times yeah. when it was Maori against Maori violence then. So introduce modern weaponry into old-style tensions and it mm. gets nasty fast. It
0: does indeed. Look, speaking of the near north, uh, opposition leader Peter Dutton uh, claims the fact that uh, asylum seekers are on board a boat that made it to shore in remote WA is a failure of Australia's border policy. 39 uh, men were found in northwest WA on Friday. They've since been flown to offshore immigration in Nauru, where their claims will be assessed. I mean, Mr Dutton surprised no one uh, by jumping on the incident. This was him, him on commercial radio this morning. And out there telling Australians that there's nothing to see here when we just had a boat arrive onto the mainland without detection, the Prime Minister... First knew about it when he was asked by the media that that is a catastrophic failure of our border of our border policy. Well, it's a well worn can here, isn't it? I mean, the fact that uh, that boats arrived without detection during his time in office, I suppose, is is worth observing. But will not deter him? I wouldn't have thought. What do you think of all this? Yeah.
1: So, so his words are that there's been a catastrophic failure of our border policy. Now, that's plainly overreach. There's been a boat. Uh, there, there was another one last October. They have, they, they have, were,
0: have, almost always been boats, including under, yes, including they, under they, the they coalition's periods, time. Yeah.
1: That's true. There were periods when they, when they weren't, and that was achieved, hard achieved, uh, through uh, boat turnbacks and other policies, which many people found were beyond the pale, but which nevertheless had the effect of stopping the boats. And the other element was by persisting with the offshore. Um, Processing scheme, which Labour reintroduced before it lost office, and which um, the coalition successfully sort of put extra marketing gloss with Operation Sovereign Borders. But the fundamental element, and that is that you don't get to land here and you get to be processed overseas, has existed since 2013, over a decade. It still exists today. They were taken quickly to Nauru and there they will moulder. That's their sad fate. So there's no catastrophic failure. It is working as it has worked for. a decade. And, um, you know, could more boats come? Possibly. But then the danger for Peter Dutton is, is as the government says, is that if you have one side of politics, you know, so there's no bipartisanship in this, one side of politics saying, oh, our borders are catastrophically open, hmm. that gives something for people smugglers to sell. And therefore, if an, if more boats come, um, you know, Peter Dutton will doubtless say that's all the government's fault. The government will have at least a little bit of of an argument to say, well, it's not being helped by you, old fella.
0: Mm. Yes, exactly. This was Mr Albanese. Well, it just shows the absurdity of his argument. Are these people on temporary protection visas? No, they are on Nauru. They're on Nauru. People who arrive by boat get sent offshore. That's the measures we're putting put in place, together with boat turnbacks, Yes, essentially, there, um, there is no difference in policy, actually. And no. the
1: reference there the reference is that Peter Dutton is saying that the government has eliminated temporary protection visas, which it did last year. And so he's saying, well, you know, if you weakened it because you got rid of the TPVs, but the TPVs only apply to people who are actually right. being processed in Australia. So therefore, these people aren't going to be processed in Australia. They're, not, they're never going to get a TPV. Um, they're certainly not getting one in Nauru. Mm. And so therefore, it, it's irrelevant to the argument.
0: Look, big changes on the future of the Navy are going to be released tomorrow. The government's yeah. going to plan, well, will detail plans for an overall increase in the size of Australia's surface fleet. There could be other changes as well. What changes, Hugh?
1: Well, this is consistent with the uh, Defence Stregic, uh, Strategic Review which came out last year, which said that our uh, strategic thinking, the way in which we think about Australia and the world is no longer fit for purpose, that we built a military force across all the services, which was essentially seen as a bolt-on to the United States, our great friend, and that we would have 10 years warning before we might ever contemplate a war back in our region. Now, that has been thrown out, um, and the view is is that things are moving at such a rate that we may have very little warning before we're pitched into a major power conflict in our region. That will be a maritime conflict, and therefore the Navy becomes critical. So what we're going to see tomorrow is the Navy element of this. And what we're expecting to see tomorrow is that the Hunter-class frigates, which were brought in, the much bigger ships, they're brought in to replace the now aging and, in the case of one or two of them, ready for the scrap heap Anzac frigates. Which are hopelessly underarmed against, our, you know, potential rivals nowadays. Hmm. So the Hunter was supposed to be the next one up, but um, it doesn't arrive until t- the 2030s. And even the first one that comes off the line will have about a third the number of missile um, uh, sh- shoots hmm. that um, that you, or missiles that they can carry that an equivalent American would. So, in other words, the minute you've got the brand new car, it's it's it's
0: out of it's date. Out of date. Mm.
1: And so they're going to cut. The expectation is they will cut the number of those design ships, forty five billion dollars worth, um, by from nine down to potentially three, um, or so three of the original design and maybe three of an amended design, which are, which have got more weaponry, or perhaps six of the original design and maybe another three of some other updated. Uh, ship. And meanwhile, the thinking is, nowadays, everywhere across defence, the lessons of um, the way in which China and Russia have armed up, the way that Iran has operated, uh, very constrained for money and and Hmm. all the rest of it, and the way we've seen the war in Ukraine is small, smart, and at massive scale. Those are the mantras nowadays. So more vessels that are smaller but but much punchier, and, and we need them fast.
0: Swarming drones, eh? Look, building naval vessels is not just about five hours, it's also, also about domestic politics as well. The uh, Labor Premier in South Australia, Peter Malinowskis, is concerned about changes to the Hunter Class Frigate Program because it means jobs. And we say that it has to start with a program of six with something to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've got to get started because it takes long lead times to actually get this uh, capacity off the shipyard, into our seas and commission for the Navy. Yes, well, fair enough. Look, Hugh, just finally, you've been looking at the ailing Australian nickel mining industry pretty yeah. pretty, pretty much. I mean, the government's going to have to help them here, aren't they? Because the Indonesians have completely swamped the market with cheap nickel.
1: There's a fascinating story here. Absolutely everyone should care about this story, even if all you're thinking about is an electric car, because nickel is one of the key uh, metals. Um, for, well, not just stainless steel, but which it long has got, had had that value, but in all these new smart uh, battery-directed green industries are going to require nickel. And so Australia perceived itself as being an absolute home of rare earth, including nickel. Uh, their BHP has all kinds of, they've got a smelter, a refinery, they've got mines in Western Australia. They've announced they're writing down that lot for $5.4 billion dollars uh, mm. the, the shutting down potentially of the, uh, their assets, including nickel smelter in Kalgoorlie. The reason for it is, is that um, nickel also exists in uh, Indonesia in vast amounts. And there's an enormous amount of China-Indonesia connection here, Chinese money initially. The Indonesians under Joko Widodo said, we're not going to export nickel. You want nickel? You've got to get it from us. We're going up the value chain. We're going to refine it. Uh, the goal is to make the batteries in Indonesia and ultimately make the cars in Indonesia. But in the meantime, what they're doing, because their nickel is reasonably accessible, underneath the rainforest is they're clearfelling clear-felling rainforest. They are just digging up these massive, massive areas of earth and pulling out the nickel. The runoff is destroying coral reefs. Um And the use of the, there's an acid um, technique in the refining of it, which also has you know devastating potential impacts on mm. the environment there, but they're producing so much of it seventy percent at the moment of all the world's nickels coming from there is about to go up to eighty percent that the price has tanked it 's gone down over forty percent in the past twelve months, and it 's rendered things like the bhp mines no longer viable so It's an environment, it's a curious thing. It's designed in the end to improve our environment by making us cleaner and greener, but it's coming through the stripping of rainforest and um, damage to reefs and all that other kind of stuff. So uh, there's
0: a lot involved. Mm, There is a lot involved. You're quite right. Hugh, always good to talk. Thank you.
1: All the best. Well, take care.